Uh, we're going to answer the question, is the U.S. losing its hegemony for the dollar and its ability to regulate global markets? Uh, it absolutely feels that way, and there are a lot of data points to support that, and we're going to go over them. Uh, earlier in March, when President Putin visited China, no, other way around, President Xi went to Russia. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Um, he, President Putin said that Russia would start using the Chinese yuan for international payments. Now, Saudi Arabia is in talks to do the same thing as well and also work with Iran to create an economic alliance. This would cut the U.S. dollar out of major global markets and sort of lay naked the dollar as it stands because the dollar is backed by a belief system and literally nothing else. No gold, no hard assets, a whole lot of debt. Uh, former Assistant Treasury Secretary Monica Crawley was on Fox News this weekend, and she talked about how that fall from grace will, in fact, be very painful for all of us that are used to a dollar-backed global system. Look, since the end of World War II, the dollar has been the safe place to go, and it's been backed up by a couple of things. It originally was backed up by gold, but President Nixon took, took us off the gold standard, so there's no hard asset backing up the dollar anymore for the last 50 years. But also it's been backed up by the strength and economic power of the United States and the fact that oil has always been traded in dollars. If that were to end, that would mean the end of the U.S. dollar. Look, there is a perfect storm happening right now, Will. The the world's uh, reserve currency, being that, uh, having that status, has been a real privilege. But we've abused the privilege by wholly reckless monetary and fiscal policies over many years, certainly over the last couple of years, which has really devalued the dollar. On top of that, now you do have this perfect storm of Biden's weakness, his war on American domestic energy production, the Ukraine war. And as you point out, because of all of these things, we've got America's enemies led by China forming a new economic bloc. And all it would take at this point now, because we're at this pivotal moment, Will, is Mm -hmm. for Saudi Arabia who has indicated that they're open to this, to say, you know what, we're going to be open to considering other currencies to trade in oil. If that were to happen, there would be a complete implosion of the global economic system, but certainly the American economic system. And if that were to happen, you'd be looking at sky-high inflation, just raging Weimar Republic kind of inflation. If you think inflation is bad now, just wait. But more importantly, we would lose our economic dominance and we would right. lose our superpower status. Now, I used to work with Monica Kelly. Very smart. Yeah, Very this smart. clip alone had our accountant sort of writing to us and, and saying like, oh, you know, she's like, I was I didn't even know this about the dollar not being backed by gold currency. We've talked about that before a lot. Um, but, you know, this is a scary way that she's putting it. But I don't think that she is fear mongering. I actually like what she says here, that it's been a real privilege to have a hegemonic dollar, because how did we get there? How did the world come to have the dollar as the underlying currency of most global transactions? Um, well, the answer is by cheating. Um, I'm going to tell you a little story. This comes from a very old out-of-print book called The Hidden Hand of American Hegemony. Uh, because it's a, it's a real book, it's not in a, any kind of digital form, um, I had to take a screenshot of it, and I'm sorry that this looks a little bit too busy. But I want to tell you this story anyway because it's kind of fun and also naughty and also crazy. Okay. Did okay. I sell it? Good naughty, enough? naughty and crazy. It's yeah. It's all of those things. So G.K. Chesterton once. Uh, okay, wait. 
No, I want to start from the second line. In 1974, U.S. Treasury Secretary William Simon was putting Islam through its paces. He flew on a government plane to Saudi Arabia to meet with the Minister of Finance because he was worried about the future of the international financial system and the place of the United States in it. Simon had put an extremely violent video on the in-flight movie system, and he was laughing uproariously while consuming prodigious amounts of whiskey. Alcohol is illegal in Saudi Arabia, though drinking it might seem like the national pastime to a new visitor in the kingdom. Ministers of state are not supposed to roll off their planes drunk, but according to another government official on the trip, this is exactly what Simon did. In 1974, the financial problems facing the U.S. Secretary of the Treasury were enough to drive any level-headed soul to his cups. The federal government was running an ever-increasing budget deficit, and it was Simon's job to finance it. But that year, the Treasury was preempting 62% of the debt markets in this country, and Simon called the cost of paying interest on the national debt just frightening. So he's realizing the economy is about to collapse. He needs to get himself drunk and get on a plane to Saudi Arabia because they can't pay their debts because the currency is collapsing and they can't even pay the debt on it. At the same time, the price of oil was getting higher and higher. Financial markets are in danger of collapse, partly because of the new inflows of capital from oil exporting nations. The strain could be believed, Simon thought, if the OPEC nations put a larger amount, we're going to flip the page, of their accumulated funds into investment in this country, or if the American public spends less and saves more. Since it was unlikely that President Richard Nixon, while facing impeachment, would succeed in urging the public to spend less and save more, Simon turned to OPEC for funding. And how did that meeting go? I'm going to skip a few paragraphs. Well, his answer to the myriad problems faced by the Treasury and the United States in general, and indeed by most of the world's, was to sell bonds. In 1974, Simon negotiated a secret deal so the Saudi Central Bank could buy U.S. Treasury securities outside of the normal auctions. A few years later, Treasury Secretary Michael Blumenthal cut a secret deal with the Saudis so that OPEC would continue to price oil in dollars. These deals were secret because the United States had promised other industrialized democracies that it would not pursue such unilateral policies. So it was through these secret meetings, drunken, underhanded dudes in secret rooms, uh, deciding that the dollar could no longer compete on the merit, so they had to cheat. I mean, it leaves us all now to wonder, what if the U.S. had competed economically without cheating? Where would we be? Would we be where we are now with sort of a, an American dominant culture? And I'm not saying it's dominant, but I'm saying there's a perception of it as dominant. I, wow. I don't know. That's a crazy story, right? It's a crazy, you know, hypothetical to think about, right? If we didn't do it in this sort of underhanded way. Because he makes the point in this book that France was really by, you know, fighting it out to be the underpinning currency of oil trade as well and all international trade. And the United States just kind of, they edged them out with, they played dirtier. They played a dirtier set of cards. Hmm. Um, and it, it's a great book. It's, it's, uh, I, I've invited the author on the show, I think a couple of times and hopefully he responds to me. Um, so the question is if the dollar, it, is it the dollar that gave the U S license to control economies and world leaders and resources, and without that seniority, would it still be a superpower, as Monica Crowley mentioned? Well, perhaps not, and world leaders may be grabbing their chances to edge out U.S. hegemony. We saw over the weekend when uh, Bolivian President Luis Arce, I think it's Arce, 
um, expressed interest in joining a lithium policy group with other Latin American countries, including Mexico. Now, he didn't mention the U.S. specifically, but he almost doesn't have to because you can recognize them in his quotes. He's basically saying that this is necessary to prevent the U.S. from subverting the market the way it does with oil and gas. He says we must be united in the market in a sovereign manner with prices that benefit our economies and one of the ways already promised by Mexican President uh, Lopez Obrador is to think of a kind of lithium OPEC. He says we don't want our lithium to be in the Southern Command's crosshairs, nor do we want it to be a reason for st- destabilizing democracy, uh, destabilizing democratically elected governments or foreign harassment. Well, who does that? With what resource? That's easy. That You don't have to pass the SAT to fill in those blanks. Uh, this would be a consortium of sorts of South American countries creating an organization like OPEC, but for lithium, a major component of the electronics you are probably using to watch this show, I would imagine, drive your EV if you've got one. Uh, according to Reuters, Bolivia has an estimated 21 million tons of untapped lithium resources, the most worldwide, in an area of sprawling salt flats delineated delineating the so-called lithium triangle that includes northern Chile and Argentina. Uh, here's a lithium map from the British Geological Survey. Uh, the largest producers of lithium are currently Australia, Chile, Argentina, and China. The U.S. only mines lithium in Nevada, even though by some estimates the U.S. is home to about 4% of the world's lithium reserves. Uh, the Inflammation Reduction Act actually did put aside money for lithium mining, but it will not be enough to satisfy the demands for uh, increased electronics and and electric vehicles. No, and this is all of our own doing. I've covered this on the show repeatedly, which is the United States has shot itself in the foot. I mean, both in uranium production and lithium mining. I mean, we're sitting on a massive amount of it. And yet because of the, because of what the Biden administration, the Obama administration have done, they basically shut it down. Uh, a couple of reasons that and well, for the um, what's the one you just mentioned? Not lithium. uranium, uranium. uranium. for uranium specifically. It's a lot of it has to do with litigation from environmentalist groups, uh, which, you know, you can't as a politician have both things. You can't sort of speak a big game about climate change and then also want to increase production of mining um, because climate change. Religious fanatics is what I want to call them. Don't study the nuance. They just refuse. Um, so they think all mining is bad and they won't allow this to happen, but they, you have to know then that other countries will do it. Um, and so because the U.S. knows that it can't keep up with mining lithium at all, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act provides tax incentives for what's called friend shoring. This was a new word to me. Do you know what friend shoring is? No. It means that manufacturers will receive the tax credits not for mining the minerals themselves, but if 40% of the critical minerals in their EV batteries come from friendly countries, Uh, any country where the United States have a friendly free trade agreement in effect. So they know we don't have it. And if you get it from a friend, you get incentives, which is incentivizing them to not do business then with Chile and Argentina and Bolivia, uh, China. Um, and all of these other countries that manufacture it. Uh, but for lithium, just friending up to Mexico and Canada won't do it. And Mexico may not be game because they may be more willing to start their own consortium with their neighbors to the south instead of, you know, friend shoring with their neighbors to the north that are hostile to them. Uh, so that's, 
you know, one way hegemony is sort of slipping out from under the United States, um, you know, and if they cannot sort of compete on industry alone, then they need global hegemony, power, clout, right? Well, they're not keeping that either. China is now taking the job of the U.S. Um, in the absence of leadership for peace. Uh, Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez will meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping um, later in April. He said that he is grateful for President Xi's invitation and willing to speak about his peace plan. Brazilian President Lula Ignacio Lula da Silva is also going to meet with China in April, proposing a peace club. That's where all the cool kids are um, in order to mediate an end to the conflict in Ukraine. And French President Emmanuel Macron will also go to China. And he's bringing along European Commissioner uh, Ursula von der Leyen, who will give a speech uh, later in uh, in late March to lay out the nature of the EU's relationship with China. Could that be a break in the sand or a line in the sand um, for where the European Union is willing to break with the United States? That would really hurt Joe Biden's feelings, I'm sure, uh, because him and Ursula von der Leyen are besties, ideologically the same person, I would say. Uh, so about that superpower and economic superiority, when you lay all that together, you can see why Monica Crowley is saying this is a perfect storm of breaking of hegemony. You may say, though, it had a good run if it was 1974 and now here we are 50 years later. Yeah. You know, then if you cheated, you had 50 years to run on it. But now, like in that 50 years, even if they cheated to get there, they had 50 years to deserve it. And seems like they didn't. A lot of people in the chat saying karma. Well, this is and another person in the chat said the dollar is done, done. <laughs> the yeah, dollar is it's done, scary. Done. It, I mean, it, it, we it's can say this. We're reading the tea leaves because, you know, we're reading history. We're we're trying to understand it historically. It doesn't feel good because we are American citizens and we're like, oh, what, what's going to happen to us? It's scary, uh, but we cannot ignore it. Yeah. But, you know, we should all be prepared for it. I mean, that's the bottom line. Prepared for what your retirement plan looks like, how you're going to invest, whether you're investing in like some sort of precious minerals or, you know, um, or real estate or something like that. Go ahead, Philip. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's starting to sound an awful lot like uh, drunken people underhandedly meeting in secret rooms is no system for basis or no basis for a system of economic policy. Probably well, not. I mean, it could be argued that in the room where it happened is how we decided that Washington, D.C. would be built on the Potomac. You know, the capital of the United States would be and and know, the financial system would be based in, in New, New York. York City. Right. Yeah. That happened in a drunken room, you know, so like that's how stuff actually does happen. Right. It's the backroom deals that always that's actually how things, you know, happen over cigars and bottles of scotch. But then what happens when the rugs pulled out from under it? You know, people who have money in a savings account, it's all automatically worth a fraction of what it was before. Uh, because, yeah, and but it, also the, 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 the people, the people, sorry, I, sorry, I, the, but the people that are responsible for doing that, they're not on the rug. They, they, yeah. they all their assets aren't yeah. in the dollar. Their assets are in, in tangible assets. So when they yeah. pull that rug, it's not them that falls. It's yeah. everybody else. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And people aren't prepared for it. I mean, people who are watching this show hopefully are prepared for it. You understand that if your money is tied to the U.S. dollar in a savings account, we're giving you the warning. We've been giving it to you for two years on this show. Absolutely. Personal. I mean, in my opinion, you should not have your family's future tied to the U S dollar. You know, it should be something that you're thinking about. 
how can I, every day that your money is tied to the U.S. dollar, it's losing value because of inflation and other per, and other reasons. But can you position that differently, whether it's buying gold, silver, real estate, you know, crypto, Bitcoin, if that's something you want to do. But for four or 5,000 years, gold, silver, and real estate have sustained everything. Like there's, that's historical, you know, that's, you know, that's history. Yeah. Right. So just prepare yourself. No government currency in world history has ever survived. They've all collapsed. What makes you think that the U.S. dollar will somehow be different? Like this time? No, no. So we're watching it in real time happening. So just prepare yourselves, everyone. Thank you so much for watching this segment here at Redacted. We are live every day at 4 p.m. Eastern time trying to share the stories that the mainstream media will not cover. You should also come over and join our community of Redacted Rebels over at Redacted.inc. That's our private locals community where we can share exclusive content that we simply cannot share here on YouTube. Come over and join the rebellion together right now by going to Redacted.inc. We'll see you next time.